Thanks, guys. That was really good. Hey, family. How are you? Oh, that was enthusiastic. How are you? This afternoon, we were we went over and visited my spiritual papa. Known him for probably 36 years. He is 92 years young. Acts like he's 60, looks like he's 40. I was sitting in a room one time and he walked in and I leaned over to my friend. And I said, I hope I look that good when I'm his age. He said, son, you don't look that good now. <laughs> we were visiting with him and we were talking about this new vision he has in his own heart for what he has yet to do for the kingdom. 92 years old. And I told him, I said, you know, one of the greatest things you can do, having known the Lord as long as you have, is open your heart and tell us the story of what you have learned about this Jesus. Just tell us all the different ways you've encountered him in your life. When Pastor Jeff said we were going to do this series on walking with Pete, I kind of had that same feeling because in essence, that's what Peter does in his epistles. Late in his life, he sits down and says, let me tell you about my Jesus. And he opens his heart and it's as, as if we take a, a long stroll. And Peter said, let me just tell you the important thing things that you need to know about this one who changed my life. So I really love this series and, and the topics this week and next that pastor gave me, I told him, I said, why is it you always leave town and you give me the stuff like politics and work? You see, Peter, one of the things about Peter is he was a grassroots blue collar kind of guy, the fisherman. So for Peter, if the gospel didn't apply to your life every day, what good was it? For him, the gospel had to get greasy. It had to get real. And as we've walked through 1 Peter 2, we've talked about walking in holiness and walking in honesty. As we've looked at these things, Pete just drives this stuff down to earth. And he says, you know, walking with Jesus is a real thing that has real consequences in our real life, in real time, in the real world. And when he gets to this passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11... When he gets to this passage, he wants us to understand because he, he begins to unfold some of the most practical teaching that he gives in his epistle. But he wants us to know why he's going to tell us the things he's going to tell us. And in the first few verses, he sets the context for stuff that he begins to unpack that honestly, as I've read and studied it this week, it's convicted me. It's, it's challenged me in my own life. But he wants us to understand. I'm not laying out a bunch of stuff just for you to do. There's a reason this stuff ought to come out of your life. And he starts with that in verse 11. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that war, wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Listen to this. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, for us to receive, imbibe, digest, and express your word, we need you. As you worked in Peter so that he could say these words from experience, he had lived it. Help us to receive the living, abiding word of God so that we can live it in the reality of tomorrow and Wednesday and next Friday. Come Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Give us sensitive hearts, open ears, honest minds so that we can present Jesus fresh in Jesus' name, amen. Nagi Cox, some of you might know her name since we're all things space here, was the operations director, and she's an engineer, that ran three of the four Mars rovers that we put on the surface of Mars. She discovered in her first time of operating it that it was very difficult to connect with Mars because Mars runs on different time than we do. See, a Mars day is called a Sol, and it's 40 minutes longer than a day on Earth. So she had this great idea. She said, as long as the rover is operational, we, we heard the team should live on Mars time. So every day she had her team come in 40 minutes later for work. So when it's the middle of the day in Mars, it's then the middle of the night in, on Earth. And she said it started working. They started talking and thinking like Martians. But the problem was just maintaining all that. So she came up with this idea. Let's get Mars watches. So they created watches where the timing mechanisms and the weights had been shifted so they would run slower 
So they ran on Mars time. So she was working on earth, but living on Mars time. She was living on the time of the planet she was obsessed with. As I read that story, I thought, you know what? That describes us. We are people of a different time, of a different place, of a different kingdom. And the easy thing to do is to adapt so much to the world that we forget that we are people of another place. And that's why Peter starts this discussion by saying, hey, all this stuff I'm going to tell you, the reason it's relevant is that you are sojourners and exiles here. You guys are people of another place. Immigrants from heaven. And as I, I looked at this, I thought, well, that's true, but it's also hard. How do we adjust our lives to live as if we are people of heaven now? I mean, Jesus told us to pray that, right? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he calls us to be people of heaven now in the earth. How do we do that? We get heaven watches. We get watches that we live our lives by that are tuned to heaven. And Peter here gives us an idea of the instruments needed to change our watches so that we live on heaven time while we live in earthly time. We live by the priorities. We live by the values. We live by the ideas and ideologies of another place in the real rub and reality of the place we draw our breath. I, I, I came up with three tools by which we reset our watches. The first is reaffirmed allegiance. He starts by saying, you are foreigners and exiles. Interesting words. Foreigner literally means people of another house. And exiles talks about people who are living as if they are home, but they're actually from another place, like an immigrant. So if we are foreigners, we're sojourners, some people say wanderers. If we're vagabonds of the kingdom in earth, we don't feel at home here. And if we are exiles, if we're people of another place planted here to live, but by the values of that other place, we don't fit in. There should always be within us a divine restlessness, a homesickness, as it were. Like the people of Israel when they were in exile and they couldn't even sing the songs of Jerusalem. They had to hang their harps on the willows because they ached so much to go home. God, for, for, do something terrible to me. Make my tongue glue to the top of my mouth. If I forget Jerusalem. That's how they lived. So even though they were in exile, their hearts were home. You see, we're foreigners. We're aliens here. We speak a different language. 
we have divergent priorities. We have distinctive values because we serve a different God than the cultures around us. Peter actually started this letter by addressing it to the exiles dispersed around the world. Uh, J.B. Phillips translates exiles as temporary residents. Peter was saying to them, guys, if we're going to do this kingdom thing, we're going to live the values. We have to live it like Jesus, who was a man from another place, who took on this place as home. We've got to remember we're exiles. We're temporary residents here. We're people of a different time because we're people of a different place. When I was growing up, we used to sing this gospel song. I don't want to get adjusted to this world. And the idea behind it was it's so easy for our clocks to be reset to the time zone of earthiness where we lose the perspective that this is not our home. We are citizens of another place. Paul says it this strongly in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. You guys live on a passport from another place. Now, for some of you, this might be the first time you've thought about that. And you think, wait a minute. This is my home. This is where I've lived. This was your home until you met Jesus at the cross. And at the cross, you were given a different passport because you belong to a different place. You have now an allegiance that is far higher. Hebrews 11 is that great chapter where the author of Hebrews goes through all those incredible people in the Bible that did such amazing things by faith. And he comes to this verse 13. These all died in faith. Listen, he did not say died in the faith. These all died believing. These all died believing in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. One of the greatest warning signs that I'm getting too close to friendship with the world is if I lose that sense of discomfort in me that says I'm from another place. We ought, to, we ought to be expecting to be uncomfortable in the culture we're in. Peter went so far in 2 Peter as to call us peculiar people. Now, I grew up in, in what was called the holiness movement. I don't know if you know anything about that. Uh, we loved that verse about being peculiar people. Because we were weird. 
And we thought that gave us license to be weird. We looked weird. We acted weird. We did weird things. And that's what we thought being peculiar meant. No, that's just being weird. That's all that was. Being peculiar is being distinctively different from the flow of human culture. And yeah, that affects the way we look, act, talk, and all those things. But it's really a difference of heart. We have a reaffirmed allegiance. That's one of the ways we reset the clock. The second one is we have a refined abstinence. Peter says, listen guys, because you're aliens and strangers here, abstain from the fleshly desires that wage war against your soul. He says there's stuff at the natural level that is constantly trying to undermine the higher realities of your spirit. And he says abstain from them, push back from them, avoid them. There are many lower priorities in the earth. Those are the things that the culture tries to tell you make you who you are. And those things wage war against your soul. That's the place where you are who you really are. So the stuff of the world is trying to redefine your identity all the time. What is it trying to do? It's trying to make you believe you are people of this planet. You see, we're members of another kingdom. Do you know Jesus only used the word church twice in his entire ministry? But he used the word kingdom hundreds of times. He didn't come to start a church. He came to release a kingdom. And in that kingdom, he created a church to serve that kingdom. We are members of that kingdom. Now, the last one of the tools is refocused alliance. There's a constant need in our lives to ask, who am I allied to? Because you see, there's only one person that we align ourselves with. And it's Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you. Because they will. As evildoers. They may see your good works. And glorify God. On the day of visitation. You know what Peter's saying? Live in a way that you show off Jesus. That's what you're called to do. Show off Jesus. When you show up at work, show off Jesus. When you're walking through your neighborhood, show off Jesus. In your conversations, in your declarations, on your Facebook page, show off Jesus. Live a life where people, even when they want to believe the worst about you, can't prove it by your life because all they see is Jesus. And then Peter goes on, he says, if you'll reset your watch with those tools to heaven's time, 
Being willing to live as aliens, foreigners, strangers, wanderers here, vagabonds of the kingdom. Then your life's going to look a certain way. We're talking about walking under authority tonight. It's fascinating to me that Peter, when he gives us this dissertation on us being so distinctive and so different, and he tells us how to align our lives to Christ so that we stand out as the people of God, the first thing he chooses to say that demonstrates that alliance with the heart of Christ, he talks about submission to authority. See, submission to authority is one of the surest signs that we have aligned ourselves with Christ and are allegiant to his kingdom. His lordship enhances and enlarges our willingness to submit to lesser authorities. I was messaging back and forth with Pastor Jeff this morning. And he said, I find it interesting that Peter was not an under authority kind of guy when he was walking with Jesus. You remember that? I mean, this is the guy that got all up in Jesus' face to such a degree that Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's, that's not good when he says that to you. He wasn't an under authority kind of guy in the garden when he whipped out a sword and tried to take the head off somebody that was violating Jesus. He was an earlopper. And yet he's the one writing these words. And I thought to myself this week, I'm an earlopper. That's my first response. Whip out the sword and go for somebody's head. And yet Peter says, the first way people are going to see that you're distinctively different, that you're uniquely like Christ, is your ability to walk under authority. So I ask myself from Peter's writings, what does that look like to walk under authority? What does it look like? It starts with a lifestyle of holiness. A lifestyle of holiness. He, he, this is the message translation of verse 12. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. ESV said, live such good lives among the Gentiles. Think of them as unbelievers. Live such good lives among the unbelievers that they will notice. Live noticeably. Not noticeably because we're weird and not noticeably because we're angry. But noticeably good. Live noticeably good. Unignorably good. Let's talk about that idea of goodness. You see, Jesus said much the same thing. I think it might have been where Peter got it. Because Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's exactly what Peter said in verse 12. Live primarily for and secondarily against. You understand what I'm saying? Live primarily for and secondarily against. Be known what you're for first and what you're against second. Your good works. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, his poem, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says in Galatians 6, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. I kept asking God, you're telling us over and over again, be noticeably good. Let the world see the goodness. There's two reasons for it. One of the deepest inherent characteristics of God is that he is good. 47 times in the Old Testament, you will read these words. God is good. His mercy endures forever. At the most critical junctures in Israel's history, someone always stood up and declared, God is good. His mercy endures forever. So one of the reasons we're being told over and over and over again, let them see goodness, is that it reflects our Father who is good. But it's even more than that. Paul went so far there in Ephesians 2 as to say, the good works God's designed for you to do were designed before you were ever made. I went back and I did some study on the idea of these good works. And in the Greek you could just as easily translate it beautiful. So when Paul in Galatians 6 don't be, says don't be weary, what he's saying is don't be weary doing the beautiful. Don't get tired of doing the beautiful. You see, when we're primarily known for goodness, then when we have to take a stand against Stuff in our culture, we have a platform on which to stand because we've been noticeably good. That's the lifestyle of holiness. You know, growing up in a holiness movement, holiness was always characterized by what we were against, which was essentially everything. If it was fun, if it tasted good, if you liked it, enjoyed it, felt good while you were doing it, we were against it. Because we had this idea that you had to isolate from the world to be peculiar and different people. But the psalmist said that we're supposed to worship God in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is beautiful. It's not ugly. It's not the against fighting, raging against everything. There is a beautiful thing about living holy. It expresses itself in noticeable goodness. So we have to have a lifestyle of holiness. Beautiful holiness. 
when we're walking under authority, we'll also have an attitude of humility. Peter goes on and says, submit to the earthly authorities that you're under. This is where it gets tough for us. The word submit means to align yourself or get behind. J.B. Phillips translates it, obey every man-made authority for the Lord's sake, whether it is the emperor as the supreme ruler or the governors whom he has appointed to punish evildoers and reward those who do good service. This is where we struggle, guys. It's how do you submit to authority when you might disagree with it vehemently? First of all, we need to understand the writers of the New Testament do not give us another option. There's no plan B. Submit to the authorities. The first person he names is the emperor. Caesar. The one who, if you said Jesus is Lord, would take your head off because you didn't say Caesar is Lord. He said, submit to earthly authorities, first of all, to the emperor. And that's coming from the earlopper. Listen to what Paul says. Paul takes it and says, this is rudimentary, fundamental, and critical. In Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Ooh, that's a hard one right there. I mean, if we read that honestly, and then we look at the governmental structures of the age, that's a tough one. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. Another one we struggle with. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. <sighs> do you ever get to a passage in scripture where you just want to go, God, I, I know you wrote that. But let me tell you about where we live. I mean, maybe if you knew my president, you know. Submission is voluntary subservience. Listen to me. Voluntary subservience of our rights to our responsibilities. When the way we submit to governmental authorities we don't agree with is we submit our rights to our responsibilities. We must never cling more firmly to our rights as citizens of a country, a place on earth, than we do our responsibilities to our citizenship in heaven. It gets hard here, guys. 
Titus says, remind them to be, Paul says to Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every, wait for it, good work. Do you see how this always seems to be in contracts? Submission to authority comes out in goodness expressed in the culture. And Peter says, we do all of this for the Lord's sake. Here's where it's at. There are times where people have to take a stand against governing authority that has usurped the place of God or has put into place things that violate the will of God. We know that. It's why Martin Luther King had to do some of the things that he did. But we're never released from our responsibility to submit our rights to our responsibilities as kingdom people. So whatever I'm called to do, anytime I'm called to step out into the against rather than just the for, when I'm called to step into that and to speak truth in that place, I have to remember truth has to be spoken in love. Resistance has to come from humility. And all of it is for the Lord's sake. Don't be mad at the messenger. I didn't write it. I'm an earlopper too. Walking under authority starts with a lifestyle of holiness. Always there'll be an attitude of humility. And it will show itself in a culture of honor. The kingdom of God is a culture of honor. We cannot use our rights to do wrong. We cannot use our rights wrongly to do right. Because we are a culture of honor. The word honor that Paul uses, by the way, uses it twice. Honor all people. And then he comes back and says, and honor the king, the emperor. Honor means to correctly value, to assess the true worth of. Like if you're taking your diamond to the jeweler and you want to have it assayed, what's the value of this? Honor is rightly valuing people on the basis of the scale God uses. That changes everything. Because some people will step up and say, oh, I'm going to value that guy. All right, I know what he's worth. He's worth less. It's not my scale he has to be weighed on. It's not the scale of my opinion. It's the heavenly scale. The scale of the merciful God who died on a cross and rescued your soul. Who pulled you out of a miry pit who transform you from an earlopper. That's the scale. And honor uses the scale of the kingdom to correctly value. He says, value people, value authority. You know you're honoring others when you're willing to sacrifice what you believe is your rights in order to be redemptive. 
He says, honor people consistently. Love people sacrificially. The word love that he uses is agape. It's Jesus kind of love. He says, reverence God constantly. See, why do we have to take these risks to be foreigners and strangers and be peculiar and do good and avoid evil? Why do we have to do this? Because we fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then he says, honor leaders willingly because they are people too. I have a friend who says, true honor celebrates what a person is created to be without being offended by what they are not yet. Did you get that? Celebrate what a person was made to be without being offended by what they are not yet. That's honor. I've been treated like that in my life. It's the most profound feeling. To have someone you respect, someone you love, someone you see, as, you, you, you see as a significant person. To honor you when you know they know what you're not. He says that's the way you're to view people. That's the way you're to view leaders. Honor them. So as I was walking with Pete this week... <clears throat> And we were talking about this. I said, Pete, what do we do now? Here, now, in the real world, in real time. What do we do about this? We reset our clocks so that we're living as people of another place. We walk under authority even when it's really hard. And I felt like the scriptures said to me, we need to live in a way that we shift the atmosphere of the political climate we live in. Guys, we're coming into one of those seasons. Let's be honest. It's fisting to get ugly out there. We're walking into a political season where it's so easy to be drawn into the rancor, the viciousness. Where our disagreements become displacements. Let's be noticeably good. We don't have to compromise to do that. Jesus never did. But he was noticeably good. We carry the presence of the Holy Spirit given to us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same spirit, Paul said, that lived in him lives in you. When you walk into a room, you carry him. It's amazing. We're even told that we have the fragrance of Christ. When we leave a room, do they still smell Jesus? We need to be committed to shifting the atmosphere of the spiritual political climate that we're in. We need to refuse to buy into lesser allegiances or false alliances. You're a kingdom citizen. 
if you know Jesus Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. You're people of another place. You're distinctive. You're different. Peter went on to say in, chap, in, in his second book, you're a holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Stand out. Be noticeably different from the flow of the culture. And please remember, your primary citizenship always takes precedent over your secondary citizenship. If I exercise my rights for us here in this room as a U.S. citizen, and it violates my responsibilities as a kingdom citizenship of my kingdom citizenship, I have exercised my rights in violation of my responsibilities. I saw too much of that in the last few years where we exercised our rights as U.S., but not our responsibilities as citizens of the kingdom of God. That is always the priority. You know, it even goes farther than that. This one got me this week. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors of Christ as if God is making his appeal through us. I'm not just a citizen of another kingdom. I'm an ambassador. I have been tasked with the responsibility of living the message of Jesus as if God's only way to reach the world was through my life. That's a responsibility. We are ambassadors of Christ, citizens of another kingdom, living under authority because there is one king, one Lord, one God, and there will be a day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever. Pray with me. Father, I don't pretend to understand everything I just talked about. But if there's anything I want, it's to live as a citizen of the land I was mercifully brought into by the sacrifice of my Savior. I want to be a member of your house, living as an ambassador of your kingdom. In such a distinctive way that if I was the only person someone ever met that named the name of Jesus, they would believe in him because of what they saw of his work and presence in me. Help us, especially now, as we enter a difficult season, to know how to walk under authority. In Jesus' name.